The Tea Health Show, the medical lifestyle show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tea Health Show. Gosh, that was a little bit nerve-wracking there for a moment. Sorry about the technical difficulties. This doesn't happen very often. But hey, uh, what what can I say? It's all good. In studio, as usual, I have the wonderful Dr. Mark. Hello, Mark. Morning, Chris. How are you? And the lovely Dr. Debbie Norville. Morning, Chris. So good to have you all in studio. And Thank you, Debbie. Um, welcome. It's it's good to have you finally. Thank you, Mark. Um, so, Debbie is the president of AMSA, and um, the reason why we have you in the studio today is we're going to talk a little bit about aesthetics. So, Debbie, first and foremost, um, we've been in practice for a very long time. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about AMSA. Okay, thanks, Mark. So first of all, AMSA is what it stands for. It's the Aesthetic and Anti-Aging Medicine Society of South Africa. Uh, so it re- represents all the doctors who are working in aesthetic medicine. Um, and I and you are one of them. <laughs> um, I've, I've been working in aesthetic medicine for the past 11 years. Um, but before that, I worked in palliative medicine, so that was working at hospice. So it's quite nice for me to be working with wellness and health and beauty. Um, and, yeah, so aesthetic medicine is a really fun, dynamic, new speciality. And um, maybe I should talk a little bit about what aesthetic medicine actually is. Yes, please. You know what? Um, people think aesthetics and they think beauticians. Um, and that's so not what we are. So, yeah, it dispel the myth about where we fit in as aesthetic practitioners. Thanks. So, Mark, the, the, the definition of aesthetic medicine is that it is, uh, well, as I said, it's a relatively new field of medicine. And the primary aim is to focus on either improving or enhancing or changing um, a person's um, physical appearance. Um, and also their sense of well-being. But it's uh, by definition non-surgical. So aesthetic medicine is um, what we would say is non-invasive or minimally invasive cosmetic procedures. So as opposed to plastic surgery, which is surgical. Aesthetic medicine is practiced um, often by a general practitioner and it's done in the in the doctor's rooms when they practice, not in a hospital or a theater. And um, we don't need the general anesthetic. Um, so an aesthetic doctor uses local anesthetic or no anesthetic at all. So I think the, the important points about aesthetic medicine is that it's non-surgical um, cosmetic medicine um, and it is uh, practiced by a doctor. Not by a, a, a nurse or a or a, a beauty therapist. It is um, a medical field, um, and interestingly, um, I said it's relatively new, but it's actually not that new. Um, AMSA, which is the Aesthetic Medicine Society of South Africa's, we actually belong to a, a, an international branch of aesthetic medicine called UIME, and the UIME is International Union of Aesthetic Medicine. Has was established forty years ago. Sure. So. You know, but I, I remember when I started using Botox um, in very, very early 2000s in my practice um, that, you know, it, the, the two things that we, that we you had back then was the toxin um, and for layman's terms and you know here we can talk about it it was botox because at that point mm. in time 18 years ago you only had botox just realized i've been having botox for 18 years now. <laughs> Chris, we will not give away your age so um and then we had a, a, a little bit later we had some fillers tissue fillers that came mm. along um but since then in the past i would say deb's help help me correct in the past like Ten years, the field of aesthetic medicine just exploded with new kinds of treatments that we can do. Um, I'm thinking about threads. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. microneedling. I'm thinking about PRP, hair restoration, all of those kind of things. Absolutely. And the other thing is wellness. Um, aesthetic medicine focuses not just on aesthetics, which is your physical appearance, but also wellness and anti-aging. Yeah. So, and that is, that is huge. That is a huge movement in the world today. 
I I remember the first experience that I had with that was about 2003-2004. I was still living in Miami and um you know but I we were starting to work with human growth hormone. Um there was a Dr. Johnson in in Miami that was one of the pioneers of starting to use growth hormone in um anti-aging specifically and then we started with a whole branch of functional medicine which i almost want to say is a, a, a great deal of what we do in aesthetic medicine not all of us but most of us so yeah. functional medicine um hormone replacement um and preventative medicine right yes, and looking, call at, it looking at uh, systems you know so your digestive okay. system if, for example so in layman's terms almost holistic yes. looking holistic at holistic medicine, medicine. Yes, yeah. but again not not working with illness Working with, with wellness, with health. Which is such a big distinction to make, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But interestingly, the, the World Health Organization and their definition of, 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 um, health is the, the, the complete absence of, um, well, actually, should I, should I, let me put it, let me just try and remember this definition. Um, their definition of health is total physical, mental, and social well-being. And not just the absence of disease. Sure. Then I have to be honest. At the moment, I think we're all unhealthy. <laughs> we can strive. We know, can strive. It's, um, what, what's happening in the world is causing so much discomfort well, that's um, social, on so many yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, COVID is, has really affected that definition seriously. And I mean, if you think about the social side of things and how people have suffered over this pandemic, and I think mm-hmm. that's actually why people are coming to aesthetic doctors at the moment. I mean, we've actually been quite busy during the pandemic. So people just want to feel better. Yeah. They want to yeah, feel physically absolutely. better, mentally better, and socially better. And an aesthetic doctor is able to offer all of those. It's, I always say that, you know, I love what I do because unlike a GP where people come to you when they are sick, um, and they only come back to you the next time that they are sick. With us in aesthetic practice, people come to you because they are feeling better and they want to feel even more. Yeah. It's also, it's also useful to point out the difference between aesthetic medicine and, say, for example, dermatology. Yeah. So some people think I'm a dermatologist, but a dermatologist focuses on skin pathology. So... As somebody that's got something wrong with their yeah. skin Like eczema or psoriasis Or a melanoma So as an aesthetic doctor there is a bit of overlap I mean I can treat a skin tag or a mole for example But anything that is suspicious Or looks like it is pathology So In, in other words it's a, There's an illness going on I send the person to the dermatologist Okay so while we're on this Let's, let's Distinguish between Estheticians Beauticians Cosmetologists. Hmm, yeah, good question. So, um, in the beauty therapy industry, which is governed by a completely separate society um, in South Africa, and they are not. Debbie, sorry to yep. interject, but they are not registered with the Board of Healthcare no, Funders no, 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 or no. the Medical no, 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 uh, Society of South African yeah. Healthcare Health Professions Council. No, it, they are registered with what a, a comp- a, a, an organisation called SASPs, which stands for the South African Health and Skin Care Professionals. And um, SASP um, basically will be um, regulating the beauty therapy industry. Now, beauty therapists, have, there are different levels of beauty therapist. So a beauty therapist could be a beauty technician, like somebody that does nails. You can get a beauty therapist who studied for two years, possibly yeah, two years, beauty therapist. And that person would do massages and facials, for example, manis and pedis as well. And then you get what's called a somatologist. And so a somat- these are the guys that did a degree uh, three at year, university. Yes, they do a three-year, um, a three-year degree um, in somatology, which is the study of the body. And a somatologist is more capable of working with lasers, for example, and doing body procedures and cellulite, etc. Well, I mean, they've underst- understand the anatomy a lot yes, more. They, they, and they've and they've yes. done some anatomical study. They, they do have. a little bit of anato- yeah. anatomy and physiology. physiology. Yes. Yeah. And a somatologist works often with an aesthetic doctor um, and, and can assist the aesthetic doctor and also can do procedures that are, that are, that are appropriate for their, their scope of practice. And then there's another level which is a four-year degree for a, for a somatologist just does an extra degree, and that is uh, an, that that makes them a dermal aesthetician. 
A dermal esthetician. Yes. Okay. And that's very new in South Africa. It's very new. I, only I have one, to be honest. I haven't yeah. heard of him. There's one one organization, Isaac Carstens Academy, that that has this this one year extra year that you can do, and then you are called a dermal esthetician. And that particular qualification is is a fantastic qualification, but it's not does not qualify. The, the, the beauty therapist or the somatologist to 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 inject or to treat with Botox or fillers or threads or any of the medical procedures that are that are performed. And what's really nice is that AMSA and SASP work together. So we have very clear scope of practice. Okay, so you know what on that word, scope of practice. This is something that I, I, I think we should stand still um at for some time. Um we as aesthetic practitioners have a certain scope of practice. There are certain things that we allow to do, and then there are certain things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and here we step on the toes of plastic surgeons, plastic and reconstructive surgeons, surgeons, as well as dermatologists. Um, now, for a very long time, Debbie, and I think you have to agree, there was a big rivalry between the plastic surgeons and the aesthetic uh, doctors um, because there was overlap. Um, now we have clear field of practice, scope of practice. Just go into that for us a little bit more clearly because it. this is one of the things that I think um, our patients or clients, whatever you want to call them, need to be looking out for when they choose who they're going to. Yeah, uh, Mark, it's a really important topic, um, scope of practice. And we, we, we work alongside APRASA, which is the Plastic Surgery, Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Society of South Africa, and we work with the two dermatology societies as well, um, so that there is that we do stay within our field of practice. A general practitioner who practices aesthetic medicine um, is not, for example, qualified to do surgical procedures unless they do specialist training. Um, and so it's very important that the, the public understand what a plastic surgeon does and what a, an aesthetic doctor does and what a dermatologist does. And, um, for example, um, working with fat so a plastic surgeon can take fat from, for example, the stomach. This is liposuction yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, they will do about. liposuction, and then they will transfer that fat somewhere else, like to the breasts or the face. Um, that is outside the scope of practice of, of, a, of a GP, unless that GP has specialist training in that procedure. Qualify for me specialist training. Well, a, a specialist is somebody who has specialized in, at a university, so it's another four or five years of study and then doing a registrarship so you can become a specialist surgeon. Okay. So there's for me a little bit of unclarity. or I don't understand when you say a GP that had specialist training. Oh, okay. Doesn't that so immediately you, qualify him as a specialist? So GPs can can do courses. So they could, for example, do a course in, let's say, micro, micro surgical procedures and just focus on one thing. But they generally have to do that training overseas and it, it might not be a full speciality. It might just be for a specific procedure. But that GP, if they're going to perform a procedure that isn't normally in the scope of practice of a GP, they have to be able to prove that they've got formal qualifications in that procedure and they have to prove that they can handle the complications of that procedure without calling in a specialist like a, a plastic surgeon to help. See, for me, and, and this is something that, that uh, I want to emphasize, if, if you cannot manage a complication, you should not be doing the procedure. And that includes from a, a full-on recess of someone that, that um, uh, crashes on, on, on your table and um, you should be able to revive that, that patient. Um, and, you know, with post-surgical or post-procedure complications, if you can't manage them, you are not allowed to do the procedure. It's as simple as that. And they also should be done in a sterile environment, in a theater, you know, in a hospital setting. And that's not what aesthetic medicine is all about. I mean, aesthetic medicine is non-surgical medicine. So if you go to your 
aesthetic doctor that says that he's going to take a little bit of fat from you here and there and use that fat in your face, uh, alarm bells should be ringing. I agree. I agree. Alarm bells should be ringing. And um, if anybody's not sure, they can actually um, go onto the AMSA website or the APRASA website and actually look for doctors and their qualifications and see if they're actually qualified for that procedure. We were going to actually talk about how to choose your aesthetic doctor. Yes, let's do that. So I think the first thing then is Mm. to check their credentials. Are they registered with AMSA, for example? And check if they've done any postgraduate training in aesthetic medicine and what courses they've done, how long they've been practicing aesthetic medicine. Yeah. Actually, a recent, um, a recent um, article was just published in the scientific literature that complications occur much more commonly in new, in new doctors. <laughs> so <laughs> choose a doctor who's got some experience. You know what? And that's so true. You know what? You've been practicing exclusively in aesthetic medicine for the past 11 years. Um, I've been doing that for the past 18 years. Um, there are a few doctors in, in and around um, South Africa that that has that kind of experience. You know, it, I, I think of when we started going to conferences, our first conferences that we had, um, and the people that we see at our conferences now, it's, you know, there's a small group that you can say hello to and the, the others are all new. Breaking into aesthetic medicine is incredibly difficult. It's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy discipline. To do, and it's difficult to convert a practice into an aesthetic practice. Don't you agree? I, I actually, I do agree with you, and I think that COVID is going to really uh, emphasise that point because patients patients need to trust the aesthetic doctor and, and build up a relationship with that doctor and feel safe um, and protected um, and. People, people need that at the moment. So I think that's, yeah, I think that a lot of the people trying to get into aesthetic medicine now during such difficult times are going to struggle. They really are going to struggle. I mean, just from my perspective, and I, I always bring the lay perspective in, in, into these discussions, you know, it, it, I'm going and I'm having this part of my body, my face generally is, is where I'm, I'm seeing my aesthetic Doctor for, and I mean that you is, haven't seen me for a while. I have to be honest. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I've just posted a picture on Facebook of, of us, and I looked at it and I thought, oh dear, <laughs> maybe I'm not the poster child for aesthetic medicine at the moment. <laughs> but you know, I really do have to trust that when I because I do go to Doctor Mark, I I have to trust that what he's suggesting and what he's going to do is the right thing. Hmm. Years ago, I went to a different practitioner who was just so gung-ho with what he was doing that I ended up looking plastic Mm. for for a while. You know, know, everything was – I had two – I was over-Botoxed. I was over-line-filled. Nothing – nothing – I looked ungenuine. Yeah. And and I think think that's – there might be people who like that look, but that's not what aesthetic medicine's about. It's to my mind, it's to make you look fresher and slightly younger. But yeah. but but get rid of the tiredness. Get rid of you know the overt aging signs. Yeah. I think you've put that really well, Chris. And that is the ethos that that most good aesthetic doctors have is that we are we are really trying to restore. We're trying to enhance, and we and mm. we are, we our patients should look refreshed and healthy. Um, we they're really trying to move away from that fake plastic, overfilled, mm. puffy. They call it puffy face syndrome. Yeah, um, very unnatural with, with duck lips. Yeah, so so yeah, that is just really not not um, it, it's it's not attractive. Um, and and I just think I mean, look at you, Chris, and you've got you look absolutely hundred percent. Normal and genuine, and you don't look like you've had anything done. But that's what, that's what I like, you yeah. know. I and mean, I like that too. Yeah. So for me, I've always practiced with the following in mind: if anyone can tell me exactly what I've done in one of my patients, it wasn't done well enough. Yes, I say the same. I say if you can see that you've had mm, a treatment, yeah. you've done too much. 
Yeah. I, I, I've got, I've got two measures. The one is I know it's time to go again when people say, gosh, you're looking a bit tired. Mm. That's, that's the, the one, or you're looking angry to mm. me because I've mm. got, you know, these lines above my, where I frown. The other one is when people come to me and say, gosh, you're looking good, <laughs> but, but not, not have you had something done? Just you, yes. you, you, gee, you're looking great or yes. your skin's looking great or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. And it's, those are the two polarities that I, that I like. I like knowing when it's time because my friends are very genuine and they'll tell me. And the other one is just, you know, gee, you look good. And then that's the boost that I get from it. You know what? I, 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 Jokingly say there's four types of women. There's a, oh my God, that woman is gorgeous. Mm. Oh my God, that woman is gorgeous, but she must have had something done. And those two are acceptable. Yes. Then you have, oh my God, that woman had a lot of work and just, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. And we see that. Just walk around in Santon mm-hmm. and you see beautiful women, beautiful women that, um, obviously must have had some work done, but they look the, they like, oh, I hate to say this name. Uh, the Kardashians. What's the old old woman's name? Chris. Okay, that one. Um, and I mean, she looks fantastic she, for her but age. But come on. But she you know, but it's obvious that she must have had work done. But, it's but I defy you to tell me what. Yeah. Because I can't tell. I cannot, as an esthetician who's been working like in this field for 20 years, I cannot tell you exactly what she has had done. Everything, according to me. But... Where? Um, and then, then you have those women that, my God, they're walking lip or cheekbones. Uh, and they say, what has that woman done? And I always say, it's not what has a woman done. It's what did the doctor do? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, years ago, right when, when Botox started coming out, there, there was a, a well-known doyen of society who was walking around the shopping malls, the Santons and the Hyde Parks. She was so tightly pulled, first of all, so, so she'd had obviously had plastic surgery, so she'd obviously had a facelift, but everything was so tight that she had a snarl that her gum line was actually showing mm. that she was pulled so tight and, and, and she'd been filled so many times, ty- you, you know. And I mean, she was probably in her 80s. Um, at the time I mean terrible 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 But I think the problem is that Doctors that are not well trained Don't understand the anatomy Yes And they don't also understand the art Of aesthetic medicine So aesthetic medicine is an art As well as a science Yeah I, I agree with you You, you have, know, to, it is you have to be able to do both And I'm not saying you have to be able to draw and be artistic But you have to understand aesthetic proportions And <laughs> correct aesthetic yes. proportions yeah. And I mean when and I did a, 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 a diploma in aesthetic medicine They made us in our exam Sculpt a face in 3D They made us draw a face and draw all the aesthetic proportions in. It was quite daunting. Sure. But um, you have to. And if you don't understand the 3D um, proportions of the face and correct anatomy and where all the ligaments and Mm. tendons, etc. must be, you're going to have a distorted product. You know what? Aesthetic medicine is a dangerous field. And I actually think people don't understand just how dangerous this is. we as we as aesthetic practitioners also I think sometimes in our consultations downplay the possible complications. Um one of our biggest fears as aesthetic practitioners and especially especially as experienced aesthetic practitioners who have busy practices is blindness and People, blindness? Sure. How do I what? get blind from an aesthetic treatment? <laughs> this is something that happens quite often, not in South Africa, I have mm. to be honest. This is not something. Have we ever had a case of blindness in South Africa that we know of? Not that I know of, but it has been documented internationally. Um, and it's usually when a, um, a lot of filler has been injected under a half force in a very dangerous area. 
Yeah. Um, but understanding the danger zones of the face is part and parcel of being a good yeah. aesthetic doctor. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought up complications because that's an, that's another reason that only a doctor can inject these products because a doctor needs to handle the complications if they occur. So if you go around the corner to, um, your beauty therapist and go and have Botox there mm. and there's a complication, you're in very big trouble. And the other thing is, is um, your doctor as well. Have a look at the doctor. Is the doctor offering specials and two for the price of one specials and Botox parties? That's also a, a warning sign that that is not necessarily an ethical practice. Let, let's stop there. Um, I had one of my patients come into my office a week and a half ago. So, um, and doctors are now getting clever. Or let me say certain doctors are getting more clever uh, in the fact that um, medical practitioners are governed by a code of ethics which we adhere to because we are registered with the Health Professions Council of South Africa. And there's certain rules and regulations around advertising, touting, etc., etc. So we are not allowed to advertise or offer specials on any product that is a registered, scheduled medicine. Am I correct? Yeah, we, we, we can advertise schedule one and two medicines. Um, so, so, that so, that is OTC, so that's the like OTC. over-the-counter products, yeah. yes. So, um, a doc, and, and, um, scheduled, um, above schedule two and also with medical devices, remember injectable procedures like, like fillers are, a, is, is classified as a medical device. We're not allowed to advertise at all. So if you see someone that's on social media, um, talking about toxins and you know what um, we have learned to talk about toxins instead of Botox mm-hmm. because the moment that I say Botox I'm advertising a brand mm-hmm. um, which I'm not allowed to do so we talk about toxins or fillers um, if you see something on social media about that that's an unethical practice Yes, and aesthetic doctors are fully aware of the social media guidelines and the Health Professions Council has, has published an actual guideline just on social media on how doctors should use social media and AMSA has also published a guideline specific to aesthetic medicine. Um, and again, if you're not sure, uh, you can contact these societies um, just for clarification. But just to, just to, 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 to reinforce what you've just said, Mark, a doctor can't advertise um, and they can't offer specials. They can't say they're the best in the world, the best. The, the, like, for example, there's a doctor advertising himself as a skin lightening specialist. Sure. And um, we can't do that because there's no such thing as a skin lightening specialist. And this person is a general practitioner, not a specialist. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of ethical rules that apply. And a good aesthetic doctor should stick to those rules. Um, some of our colleagues are starting to use WhatsApp. Um, so they buy database um, and then send these out on WhatsApp because it's direct advertising sure. then to a certain person um, and not uh, on social media. But WhatsApp is classified as social media. That's a yeah. So so it does count as as, as social media. But I think I think the point here is 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 that. You know, be wary of the snake oil salesman. Mm. You, you know, this oil is going to change your life 100%. And, and, and to my mind, one of the best ways of choosing your aesthetic doctor is actually word of mouth. To a, to a large extent You know, people who've been to somebody Will say, oh, you, you know He's brilliant or she's brilliant, it's amazing Blah, blah, blah um, But don't take it from one person You, you, you know, it, there becomes a buzz and, and I certainly know Living in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg Who are the people That you would go to Who, who would I, if I didn't go to Mark Who would I go and see And there are very few I must be, I must be honest Um and everybody has their little bent and that sort of thing. But you've got to be very aware of that. I certainly wouldn't go to Dr. So-and-so in Fordsburg above a market, you know, to go, to go and have aesthetic work done. 
Unless <laughs> But I think the people are The public is very trusting They, they trusting. see the word doctor yeah. They just assume the person's a doctor Sometimes they're not even a doctor They might be an iridologist Or a homeopath You must be very, very careful That the exactly. word doctor does Or a PhD Mm-hmm so, so the, the, don't be too trusting. I think that's an important thing. I mean, we just had a, a, a really serious complication um, of, a, of a case of, of necrosis, which is like gangrene Ooh, after yeah. after a filler. And um, the doctor that performed the procedure has was actually a plastic surgeon. And I googled him, and the very first post came up that he had twenty seven cases against him with the Health Professions Council. Good twenty seven cases, and that patient that went to him. Didn't even Google him because it was the very first post that came up. So people do need to be more con- discerning. Yeah, and I, and and I mean, uh, sorry, I have to ask, how is this person still practicing? With twenty-seven cases pending, shouldn't he be suspended? He was suspended, but has been reinstated. Yeah, I, I actually know know of the case, funnily enough, mm. and. The point is, it, it it just keeps it just keeps going. Now, I mean, how do, how do you? As, as a plastic surgeon, how do you keep, keep going? And surely there must be something fundamentally wrong in, in that practice or how you're doing stuff or who you're allowing to do the, the work. You, you, you know, I'm just – is it – was it him doing the actual work or did he have somebody else? You, you, you know, oh, yes, it's under my name in my rooms, but who's doing it? it you know, the, it's always very scary. I really don't know, but I mean, I mean, I don't know in yeah. this case per se yeah. if that was the point, but mm. I'm just saying it. It can happen so easily that I, those lines get blurred. You know what? Actually, I think you've actually you've 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 got us onto something that's quite relevant. A lot of us, as aesthetic practitioners, have assistants in our in our rooms. Um, just talk about that. Talk about the legality around that, Debbie, and then ultimately, who takes the who takes takes on the responsibility mm. of anything that's being done in a practice? So, so aesthetic doctors and dermatologists and plastic surgeons often have people working with them. Um, sometimes it might be a nurse who falls under the nursing council of South Africa. Mm. I have I have a yeah, registered nurse. A registered nurse. Um, it might be a clinical associate. Um, These are people that has done a short degree in medicine and anatomy, physiology, pathology. It's a four-year degree, if I'm correct. Yes, and they need to be working under a doctor. Yeah. And they can assist a doctor. It might be a somatologist or a dermal aesthetician that I spoke about earlier um, who fall under SASPs. So all of these different um, fields have their own their own society or regulatory body, um, but they're not medical. Um, they don't fall under the Health Professions Council of yeah. South Africa. Um, and some dentists also work um, in aesthetic dentistry, um, but that's another whole talk of its own. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's, it's important that if a doctor is doing procedures and has somebody assisting him or her and something goes wrong, the doctor is responsible. If the doctor gives an order for a beauty therapist to perform a laser and something goes wrong, the doctor's responsible. Okay. Um, I just, uh, you know, that's, that's something that we need to take into consideration. I think um, back when we started out, you know, but a lot of us worked at different places. We would go from uh, – Practice to practice, or um, I, I used to inject at a place called Rub, which is one of your old <laughs> established. Um, Sounds good, Mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, old established what? <laughs> I'm trying to work no, out. Chris, not. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it was one of the it was one of the established beauty. Um, therapist yeah, practices in in I Johannesburg. Know, yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they've since closed down, um, but you know, it, we um, a lot of us got our start mm. there because mm. it was very difficult to build up a practice. But I must just re- re- just um, point out that that's how you started, and that was a while back. This uh, is this is eighteen years ago, yeah. and now it's actually. It's, uh, it's actually frowned upon for aesthetic doctors to move about from beauty salon to beauty mm. salon. Um, it's because it's a non-medical environment. Yes. So, um, but a lot of doctors did I, start off that way. This but, is this is where I want to go with this. Um, 
if something happens in a, a, a aesthetic uh, or beautician's rooms under the guidance of a medical practitioner it's not the aesthetic rooms that are responsible it's that doctor mm. and mm. that doctor might not be on site yeah that's the problem um if anything happens then i'm sorry but you left to your own devices mm. well, then it's, it's the council you're facing council and censure and and possible um, uh, legal action I mean very very possibly legal action But now because non-medical people don't fall Under the health professions council If something goes wrong on their watch Like let's say if beauty therapist Decides to, to inject a filler And something goes wrong That person is, is criminally liable So the police get involved Can, can I, I just take it can, can I take it down a notch Maybe not even injecting a filler. Mm. What about something like microdermabrasion and stuff like that? You are still, I mean, it's got to be done under very, very hygienic conditions. You are, in, it is invasive to a certain degree. You, you know, and I mean, I know a lot of beauty therapists that are, are, are doing rollering, or as they call it, and stuff. Yeah, there, like there, there are quite clear um, guidelines for for things like microdermabrasion, and 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 microneedling, needling, and stuff, uh, and yeah. dermabrasion for the with the beauty therapists. They have quite clear um, scope of practice. Getting back to that topic again, um, for example, SASPs even defines the depth that they're allowed to go to in the skin and which layers of the skin they're allowed to work in. Right. So they're allowed to work in the epidermis. Yes, and in the most superficial layers of the epidermis. Yeah, that's so, zero point two uh, millimeters. Yeah, sort of up zero point five millimeter depth would be your your Maximum. epidermis. Yeah. yeah, so if they're going to be doing micro needling, they they need to stay superficial. If they're going to be doing a dermabrasion, they're just dealing with a. The, the stratum corneum, which is just a dead superficial layer yeah, of the yeah. skin. Whereas aesthetic doctors are working deeper in the dermis, in the subcutaneous fat. We're working with ligaments and we're mm. even working on bone. You know, it's a, a very, very different thing. It, I, I mean, it is, but it goes back to that old thing about people being very trusting. Yep. And they've been going to their same therapist for years. And, you know, they always say a little bit of knowledge is a very dangerous thing. Mm. So, so, I mean, if you are doing that, Sort of therapy. I mean, my caution would would always be, just you, you know, understand how much your beauty therapist can do. This is mm. what I'm talking about mm. specifically. What what is their scope? And if they say, oh, "Don't worry, we'll just add a little bit more acid <laughs> into, yes, into yeah. your abrasion," yeah. you know, don't worry about it. Yeah. I, I think that's the time you need to start worrying. You know, and we I think one of the things that should have us more worried. Um, is um, IV therapies and IV baths. Mm. Now, Debbie, we've spoken about this on, a, on, on various occasions. We had um, Dr. Melanie Lamprecht in yeah. the studio with us in the beginning of the year, and we spoke about that. Um, IV baths, um, all places that offer intravenous therapy where there's no medical doctor on the premises at the Time you are receiving your intravenous therapy mm. and who did not see you as a patient and did not prescribe the actual Absolutely. therapy for you and most probably mixed it up for you. You are in a place that is practicing vitamin illegally. C, vitamin C kills and, and, yeah. and the wrong dosages. And then, and yeah, and then they're adding high doses of glutathione as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can even react to vitamin B. Yeah, and you can get anaphylaxis and shock and but, death. And and then and then there's there's no medical professional on site. Well, I, to, I, to assist with that. I had a, a situation at the end of last year where um, I have an IV bar that's situated in the same medical th uh, in the same uh, shopping center as I am. And I came out of my room with a nurse standing in front of my nurse uh, asking for a glucometer. And um, I went back into my office. And when I came out again, I had a patient that received an IV therapy um, from this place um, starting to faint in my room and 
lo and behold, I took him by the arm and I walked him straight down and I said, I'm not managing this complication. I don't know what was done. Yeah. Um, that, and that from the, um, from where the owner of the Ivy Bar franchise practices in Bryanston Shopping Center. So let's call a spade a spade. Yeah. Um, Russell, I don't want your patients coming into my rooms again. I think with the, sure. the, the bottom line with IV therapy is that it's bypassing the gut. So it goes straight into the bloodstream. So um, Nothing's filtered. There's no filtering. So the, the chance of a complication is much, much higher. Mm. And uh, I think for patients out there and people out there who want to have IV therapy, the bottom line is you must have been seen by a doctor. And your particular IV needs to be prescribed by the doctor. You don't choose it off a menu. You can't decide, oh, today I want my... That's not a fruit juice bar. Nope. No. Where I'm going to have guarana yeah. and and uh, and a kiwi yeah. fruit yeah. mix, and you know even if if the nurse puts up the IV and the nurse monitors you, that's hundred mm. percent fine. But you must have been seen by a doctor, and sometimes you need to have blood tests because you can't have high dose vitamin C without checking that you don't, for example, have certain deficiencies in the sure. body that can actually cause really serious complications. Mm. So blood tests are important. And it must be prescribed by the doctor And the doctor needs to be, as Mark said, available Should there need to be a resuscitation mm-hmm. So serious is that Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, You're right, our public is trusting You know, it, when we walk into a doctor We trust what they're going to say um, Unfortunately uh, I, I have to I have to say that the quality of medical care in South Africa, which was what, some of the best in the world, well, let's face it, you know, it, we had the best qualifications. People all over the world came to study in South Africa because of our, our medical programs. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's no longer the case. That's why you need to be discerning. Look at your doctor's ethics and, and look at their values. Look at how they're advertising. Look at how much they are educating the public on their social media guidelines. I mean, on social media um, platforms. Yeah. Um, you know, are they looking, do they look desperate? You know, are they two for the price of one specials and Botox parties? Or are they an ethical doctor that's advertising um, using education? It's very different. Absolutely. Um, Debbie, let's move on a little bit. Got about uh, 10 minutes, so... Oh, shall we wrap up then? No, no, no. Ten minutes is good. We can move on a bit. Okay. Um, what are the things that that's new in aesthetics? Mm. This is my. <laughs> this is the part I've been waiting for. <laughs> this doesn't need ten minutes, Mark. <laughs> um, uh, sure. Let's talk about threads. Yeah, what do you want to talk Let's about? Talk three? about That's another, that is another hour and a half talk on its own. So, you know, I told you we'll, we'll get you back. Why, but we, why don't we rather talk a little bit about COVID and aesthetic treatments? Ah, that's a perfect. great one. Because well, okay. we can cover that in 10 minutes. Okay. So, if you have had COVID, if you've had the COVID infection, um, should you be having aesthetic treatments? And when can you restart having aesthetic treatments? And... Um, there's no evidence yet in the scientific literature because it's also new, but we can say based on other viral and bacterial infections that it's safe to wait about four to six weeks after your okay. your um, COVID um, infection before restarting aesthetic treatments. And this particularly applies to dermal fillers. Yeah. So botulinum toxin or, or Botox is literally in the body for a few days. It does its work and it dissipates. It's excreted. And uh, But dermal fillers and threads stay in the body for a lot longer. Mm. So um, I would say wait four to six weeks after recovery from from a COVID infection before going back for aesthetic treatments. You're in a you're in a hyper-inflammatory state. Yes. So yes, you don't absolutely. really want to be doing, let's say, a chemical peel or any sort of um, what we call ablative skin procedure while right. you're in that hyper-inflammatory state. And you would definitely not want anything implanted into your body like a filler. So, Debbie, we, we've, we know that certain of our patients who had fillers or implants, um, you know, whether it be a thread or, or, or dermal filler, 
sometimes get a reaction when there's a little bit of sinusitis or a dental abscess mm-hmm. where the filler starts getting hard. Yeah, that can happen even years after a filler. So, oh, really? um, but that sometimes just goes away. So I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one of them. Um, I've had a couple of fillers done on, on various occasions. And depending on the severity of my sinus infection or my irritation that I have mm-hmm. in my nose, um, my filler would suddenly, I, I would start feeling it again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it as for, as the reaction goes away, that also dissipates. Mm. Are we seeing this in our COVID patients, people that had fillers prior to COVID that suddenly have what we almost want to call as nodules or a, granulomas? Yeah, or a, de- a delayed onset nodule is the, 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 the correct term, or a delayed onset reaction or infl- inflammatory reaction to a filler. It is a, it is a rare complication of fillers, and as Mark said, it's usually temporary, it's self-limiting, and if it is managed, it's can be managed with this oral medication like antihistamines or a mild dose of oral cortisone. Mm, right. So generally it can be managed quite conservatively. Um, there are other things you can do if it doesn't settle. But getting back to COVID, um, there have been some what we call anecdotal reports. So it's not yet in the scientific literature, but there mm. are reports of people who've had COVID who are now getting reactions to their fillers. But as I said, it's mostly temporary and, and self-limiting. Um, and again, it's due to that inflammatory response in the body, which is generalized. Um, in aesthetic medicine, we don't normally do fillers um, or threads um, or any invasive procedures when a person's recently had dental work or sinusitis yeah. or any bacterial or viral infection. So that's just standard. Wait four to six weeks. Mm. Um, then what about the vaccines? So should sure, you have yeah. aesthetic procedures before a vaccine or after the vaccine? I would and say no because, <laughs> you know, it's a immediate, mm-hmm. immediately uh, a vaccine gives you an immune response. Yes. It's an um, immune trigger. With, with an immune response, and this is why I always tell my patients, I never do more than three milliliters of filler. That's three ampules of filler mm-hmm. at a go. Mm-hmm. Never. Um, and my patients are sometimes angry And I say to them You know what It works like this I am putting a foreign substance Into your face Whether you want to know that or not There is an inflammatory reaction Against that The more we put in The more inflammation you will get The more inflammation The higher the risk of you reacting yeah. Against this And then that's where we start forming complications yeah. By doing small amounts On a regular basis Allowing uh, the body to adjust Accept you, that You decrease that complication yeah. I in my practice for instance Never do Botox and filler at the same time Yeah Mark I th- I, Yeah, I, th- I think that you're I agree with you 100%. Um, and the, the more, the more carefully you inject, the more slowly you inject, the less you inject and the better technique you have, the less risk there is. Um, but just getting back to COVID and vaccinations, um, AMSA's got a, we've, we're publishing a guideline now for doctors. It's more a recommendation than a guideline because again, there's no clinical evidence yet. But, um, not to have aesthetic treatments a month before your first COVID vaccine. And not to have aesthetic treatments for six weeks after your second vaccine. Okay. So that's going to just be a standard recommendation across the board. Um, and, uh, it's, um, just to, because of that hyper inflammatory mm. uh, state that your body goes into after a, a vaccine, which is normal. It's, that's how a vaccine works. But that hyper inflammatory state, that hyper immune state can actually trigger uh, complications in fillers. And there have been two, three reports officially. In the scientific literature from the FDA on um, reactions to fillers after a vaccine. So we do need to, that's why another reason why you need to go to a, an aesthetic doctor who's competent, who's qualified, who's ethical, and he'll know how to handle this complication. And should it someone happen. who is registered with AMSA, because um, these are it, um, guidelines mm. that's going out to, to the AMSA, AMSA doctors, doctors yeah. and not, not your yeah. um, corner mechanic. And a lot of the things we've spoken about today, like, for example, the intravenous nutrient therapy, um, working in a salon or a spa, they're actually guidelines on all of those matters. Absolutely. And they're available on the AMSA website for our doctors, and we send them out to the doctors as well. So, yeah, choose your doctor wisely, and hopefully they will, they will know how to handle 
any complications that might occur. But just from COVID perspective, just I want everyone to know that it's very rare to get a complication. And the complications related to COVID or COVID vaccinations are minor and very self-limiting. Okay. I mean, I think that just makes sense to me. It, 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 your body is working, you, you're building antibodies yes. to the vaccine. If you add, it, it just makes the body work much harder. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you're adding the other uh, uh, toxins or, or whatever into your mm-hmm. system, I think, I think, and I think it goes sort of broadly and, and, and generally, you, you know. You know what, I, I think... We have to do, as aesthetic practitioners, we have to educate the public a little bit. And I think we can take this, this last couple of minutes just to touch on this. Um, if you have a bacterial infection, um, which means a dental abscess, yeah. uh, if you've had sinus. dental work sinusitis. done, sinusitis, rhinitis, um, any kind of inflammatory reaction... Hay fever. COVID. Um, <laughs> if you, COVID. if you have, um, active acne, um, some kind of abscess, a boil, you do not have aesthetic work done. If you have an appointment, postpone. Um, I often have my patients in my office and you know what? Being in practice for so long and having patients that's been following and with you for a long time, we talk about what's happening at home, what's happening with you. Um, and it comes up in the conversation, oh, you know what, last week I went to the dentist. Um, why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and suddenly it's stop. You know, yes. it's, okay. Oh, or I had a root canal. Uh, um, or Noella, this, please uh, bring us a cup of coffee because we're not doing yeah. a treatment well, anymore. Or they say I'm about to go for a general anesthetic next uh, week. And, and it's... Um, <laughs> Okay, why? Because I can't do the treatment. Mm -hmm. So, you know what, Um, be honest about that because the one that... If you if you do not disclaim this, you are responsible for the complication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We often, as practitioners, have to face, um, you know, what complications, and then we know it's not something that we caused in the rooms. It's something that the patient did at home, um, but is not telling us. If the patient were read, read their consent form before their procedure, they would. <laughs> They would actually do it. it. <laughs> they would see that you cannot do procedures yeah. after infections, after vaccinations, etc. But it's such small print, and no one reads it. I mean, honestly and truly, my patients just sign happily. We, what 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 we have is, I saw this from one of our good friends, Dr. Melanie Lampracht. Is Mel has you have to sign after each point. Yes. So, um, and that's actually. Not a bad Helpful, idea. But, you know, if you're like me, I just sign. You know, it, yeah, I because I'm do. supposed to know the complications. The only patients uh, who read the, the consent form are the lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, we are coming at the end we of our program. We are right at the end of the program, unfortunately. Debbie, it was a pleasure to have you here. And as you so rightly said, we have a couple of programs that we, that we will get you back for because there's so mm. much that we haven't touched on and so much that I think we it we over public to to bring to their attention. Thank you so Thank much you for coming Thanks, Chris. out. Thank you. Thank Thanks you very much. And it's been absolutely fantastic having you in studio. And Mark, we'll see you next week. Yes, I have no idea who we're talking about to next say, week. I, I I'll have to, to check with our producer, Dante. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but have a wonderful week everybody and we'll be back next week Wednesday. Same time, same place. This has been the Tea Health Show with Dr. Mark and Chris Avon Smith, sponsored by the Tea Clinic. For more information, contact admin at theteaclinic.com.